Welcome back, everybody. It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition brought to you by Campus 2 Canton. Check them out on the Twitter at Campus the number 2 Canton. I am your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by the man, the myth, the legend, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. On the Twitter machine today, we're going to be previewing week number two of the college football season. Week one was so much fun. It was unbelievable. Um, and I'll I'll come and eat and crow. I mean, I finished five and five on my picks for, for betting pros, so I'm happy about that. But one of my major ones was I had TCU and the under. I did not <laughs> think Colorado would come out guns a blazing. And even my thought process, like even into the like second quarter, Nick was, man, these scripted drives look good. When these guys get rolling, they're going to be pretty good on offense. But then they never took the foot off the gas. Everything was successful. <laughs> Most passing yards in Colorado history by Shador Sanders. Uh, Colorado wins the game outright against a team that was in the national championship last season. And we even had Texas State beat Baylor, which is just as big, but not as widely publicized because it's a G5 team and it's not Dion and all that stuff. So lots of upsets in week one, a crazy one. Um, a lot of standard stuff that we expected to see we saw, but uh, your takeaways from Colorado and the rest of week one. Well, yeah, that, that TCU Colorado game was uh, definitely uh, an incredible way to start Saturday for sure. Um, I, our numbers were a little higher on Colorado, I think than most, I know during the tailgate, the Saturday morning show that we do for campus to Canton, um, I was the only one on Colorado to cover and I didn't feel super confident in that because yeah, I just, you know, you know, don't really know what to expect with so much turnover, but um, they came out, we're ready. <laughs> you know, Travis Hunter is an absolutely incredible player. Uh, Shadur Sanders had a phenomenal game. I had an opportunity, uh, put a, put a, a little time aside, uh, earlier today to watch, uh, JT O'Sullivan, the QB school yeah. did a, a video on, uh, Shadur Sanders's performance and, and, uh, certainly trust his eyes more than mine, but, um, he was incredibly complimentary of Sanders for, you know, not just what we all saw, but, um, uh, things like, you know, footwork and, and all the, the details are, are there too. So great. yeah, just, yeah, absolutely phenomenal. Um, uh, what's his name? The, the true freshman Dylan Edwards, mm-hmm. incredible speed. I mean, four touchdowns. I think he only had eight touches or nine touches or something, but, uh, four touchdowns and and just an incredible way to to start. And I I put this in the the campus to Canton uh, Slack channel during the game. Um, I think this was third quarter where it was still sort of back and forth and and still kind of felt that there uh, was probably you know, more likely than not that TCU was going to find a way to pull it out. And just said that this was probably the best case scenario for what happened really from a college football standpoint because there were certainly a lot of people who doubted uh whether or not it would work in in week one for colorado whether or not it'd be just a total disaster from the get-go um and there are plenty of people who maybe don't pay a lot of attention to college football who sat down and watched the game and and saw just an absolutely outstanding uh game and and maybe they'll come back next week so i think that 
Colorado being in the game was was super important. Winning it was uh, you know somewhat storybook for for some people, um, and just a just a really really great way to to start. And it was just one game. I mean, it might have been definitely the game of the week, but um, it started with Utah and, and Florida that long touchdown uh, on the first play with Utah's backup quarterback in there to to just come out. Uh, with what was it, 70 yards, 75 yard uh, touchdown pass, all the way to Monday night, Duke knocks off Clemson. I mean, there were there were incredible games all along the way. Florida State's performance was uh, pretty amazing. I mean, you mentioned the Texas State uh, win. Just a just a an incredible uh, week of football from Thursday to Monday, and and uh, and that Colorado game was was certainly uh, one of the top moments for sure. It was great. I also loved uh, watching Duke beat Clemson. That was a lot of fun as well, Xavier. Your thoughts on uh, what transpired in week one and uh, what was your favorite part of it? Offense was king. That was the thing that I learned most from this week in particular. Um, I, I genuinely – I talked to a lot of friends, and we came to the consensus that what, what Prime could be on the, the brink of doing in Colorado is, one, unprecedented, but, but two – I think it was the way that they won is exactly how I think they are going to have to win games this year. It's going to have to be, you know, shoot out. Right. For yeah. sure. Um, you know, but like I said, I think offense was king this weekend. I think if your offense really had it going, you showed that this week. I mean, heck we had, or, you know, we had some big, some absolute beatdowns in some games that, you know, are inconsequential to, I think the entirety of college football, but you had Oregon put up huge numbers against Portland state. You had Washington put up huge numbers against, um, against Boise State. And I think the thing I walked away with, and I said this in, in, in a group chat and got a lot of pushback, and I think this is something that I'm excited about. And maybe this is like the best going out party possible, but the Pac-12 might be the best conference in college football. I'm not 100% ready to say that just yet, like in totality. Let me give, give me like two or three weeks. Finally good, the last year of their existence. Yeah, but I'm, 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 I'm like this, I'm like two more weeks away from being like, no, the Pac-12 might be the most, that might be the best conference in college football this year from top to bottom. Not only did they go 13-0 as a conference this year, this week, when I think about quarterback play, like just starting at the most important position in football, they've got maybe eight to nine, like a good and like extremely watchable QBs now. Um, You're not yeah. counting DJU in there, are you? Of course I am. You know I am. He had a huge game Sunday. That's pretty good. But, but, but I, I think, yeah, but <laughs> look, that's the same team that, Caleb Williams put up the same amount of numbers and everybody was going crazy over. So like, I, I think realistically you look from top to bottom, there's maybe like four teams in that conference that don't have a quarterback that is watchable at this moment, but everybody else has an extremely, either you have a Jaden Delora who might not be, you know, the best quarterback in the conference, but is extremely fun to watch. Or you have, you know, draftable guys like Caleb Williams and Shador Sanders and Michael Penix who could all be top 10 picks this year, depending on how that, that, that year goes. Oh, so, right. You know, and, and I, so I think realistically, yeah, the Pac-12 is, in my opinion, probably going to be the most fun to watch as far as the competitiveness. And I didn't even say Cam Rising because he wasn't even playing this past weekend, right? Right. So, like, yeah, I think, yeah, it's their last year as a conference. They're going out with a bang. Uh, the the things that stood out to me, uh, Texas State, G.J. Kinney, just having that because uh, I thought Hornsby was going to start. Finley looks great. Yeah. Uh, it looked amazing. So, 
just seeing what Texas State did to Baylor, dismantling Baylor in week one. And I know Shapin got hurt, but it wasn't until late in the game. And he had a decent amount of yards, but uh, Texas State just put it on a Baylor's defense looked bad. And I mean, Florida State looked like mm-hmm. the best team in the country. And I don't know that it was particularly close this week. On both sides of the ball, they were dominant. Beat up LSU. They looked awesome. This is the Florida State that we grew up with, Nick, right here. This is what we're used to watching. And they were absolutely dominant. So just the eye test of Florida State and Colorado was so much fun. There was so much good stuff uh, to see this week. And we got even more coming up this week. A game of the century of the year. Uh, of of is uh, this week as well. But let's start out Friday. Uh, Nick, Illinois on the road against Kansas. Kansas is a three-point favorite. 56 and a half is the total. Two completely opposites in terms of style. Kansas wants to beat you with a lot of offense. Illinois wants to drag you down into the mud and beat you with their run game. Should be a really fun game to watch Friday with two contrasting styles. How do you see it playing out? Well, I, as always, look at our projections and see if they're, you know, seeing if, if they all line up, seeing if they're seeing completely different things, um, seeing if, you know, there's one particular area that that uh, sticks out, because, of course, this is your first time listening to us. We have three different models. One is a talent-only model, one is a stats-only model, and one combines talents and uh, talent numbers and stats and, and history and coaches stuff and player ratings, all kinds of great stuff. So um, the official model, that team strength model uh, has this right, you know, pretty close to what the odds makers do. It's uh, Kansas favored by two and a quarter points. The talent edge. I was a little surprised by this actually gives Kansas about a touchdown advantage. Um and then the PRISM model, the stats-only model, uh, has Illinois as an outright favorite of close to five points. So um, me personally, I don't, I don't really have a strong read. I'm excited to watch this game. I think that what we saw from Illinois against Toledo, um, you, know, you mentioned they want to win with defense. They were a little suspect at times defensively last year. That's somewhat, or last week, uh, that's somewhat to be expected with the amount of turnover that they had, lost some NFL talent off that defense, lost their defensive coordinator to a head coaching opportunity. Uh, And they also have got some injuries on that side of the ball. Um, Multiple impact players, including at least one projected starter, uh, are currently out. On offense, we expect them to, to lean on the running game. Uh, with the running back position specifically, it didn't uh, really come together last week uh, against Toledo. They they did get a little bit of a spark from Luke Altmeyer, the transfer quarterback from Ole Miss. He had about 70 yards, I think ended up leading their their offense in, in rushing yards. Um, but it was, a, it was a little bit of a struggle, and, and they had to kick a last-minute field goal to avoid an upset against Toledo. Uh, for Kansas, they didn't have Jalen Daniels. It's sounding more optimistic that he will be back this week uh, for this game, but he's dealing with a back injury. It's limited him a lot in fall camp. Um, obviously, he didn't play last week against Missouri State. Um, an FCS opponent, and a pretty easy win for Kansas. The defense uh, looked much improved, uh, certainly you know, in the box score really, really did a pretty good job of limiting 
Missouri State offensively. Uh, Kansas has had a couple extra days to prepare, hopefully to get healthy, not only for Daniels, but Luke Grimm, uh, one of their starting wide receivers. Uh, Taiwan Berryhill, linebacker, um, has also been injured. Um, so, it, you know, both of these teams already are uh, dealing with some things. And I, I do think that Kansas, especially if Daniels plays and Jason Bean, I am a, a Jason Bean fan and, and think he did some good things uh, starting, but you know, there, this is a, a different team with Jalen Daniels uh, available and, and do think that with him uh, and close to hundred percent that this Kansas offense, especially as experienced as they are and as inexperienced as the Illinois uh, unit is right now, um, so early in the season and already a little bit banged up. Um, I, I think Kansas probably has the edge in this game, um, but we'll see. We'll see how much improvement Kansas really has made defensively, and I do expect Illinois to put a little bit better performance together and really have an opportunity to, to run the football quite well because that was something that, that Kansas really, really struggled to defend last season. They ranked 119th in overall defensive team performance and 112th against the run. So if Illinois can do what it usually wants to do, establish the run, play good defense, um, then they definitely have an opportunity to, to pick up this win. Uh, but I, I think I agree with the projections that, that Kansas uh, should be favored, but we are officially in that official team strength model on Illinois uh, to cover. So should be a, should be a close hard pot game though. Xavier, do you have a good feeling about this game either way, Kansas or uh, Illinois here? I thought Illinois last week defensively could have been better. Um, I know Toledo's offense is something we talked about in the G5 uh, previews, um, especially in the MAC preview in particular. But I, I just felt that offensively they struggled a lot. And I think maybe that second half they got away with it a little bit. I feel like Toledo was in control of that ball game for much of the first half. Uh, they go up 19 to seven, like within with a minute of the second of the the second half, uh, and, I, and and you know once again the defense was able to step up. But I, I I'm really concerned about what that offense is going to be this year. I really am. Um, I'm not sure Luke Altmaier is going to be able to be dynamic enough, uh, similar to how they were last year. They're going to have to beat you with defense. I mean I'm not sure that they have enough defense against Kansas. Um, Although they started off extremely shaky, um, you know, they, they took about a quarter and a half to wake up against Missouri State this week. They looked like Kansas of old, um, at least of last year, right? Um, extremely high-powered offensively. Um, Jason Bean looked comfortable at times. Uh, they looked more balanced this year than they were last season, which was something that I, I, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing if they do more of, um, you know running the ball almost 30 times as a team, keeping Jason Bean under 30 attempts. So that was that that was cool to see. I, I'm I'm I thought last year Kansas struggled winning games late because they couldn't be balanced. Uh so if they can if they can you know be a little bit more balanced this year, that'll obviously help them out. They had 276 passing yards, 245 rushing. So you know almost as you know as balanced as you can get uh for the first game of the year. I gotta go lean Kansas on this one. I just think that their offense is gonna be too much for Illinois to come back from. Like I said, it really took a large shift in the second half uh, for them to win that game over Toledo. I mean, they were almost non-existent. They were almost, you know, shut out in the first half, right? Only a first down touchdown uh, to really to uh, to hold to their name against Toledo. And I think Kansas is just gonna have a, enough defense to hold him. But more than anything, I think that Kansas offense is really just gonna be that explosive this year. And like I said, if they can get to you this level of balance. It's going to be tough to beat them uh, on a, uh, you know, on a weekend and week, week out basis. 
All right, let's go over to Notre Dame on the road against NC State. The line here is Notre Dame by seven. The total is 50 and a half. Notre Dame has looked really good against two uh, lesser opponents here, Nick. Uh, but it wasn't all sharp for Brennan Armstrong uh, over at NC State. So how do you see this one playing out? Yeah, so this one is, uh, projections-wise, <laughs> pretty much the opposite of uh, the Illinois-Kansas game. All of our projections see this one uh, very, very similarly. And whether it's fortunate or unfortunate, it's it's pretty close to what the odds makers have. So uh, our team strength projection is 6.6. Notre Dame is, is favored by a little less than a touchdown. Uh, talent edge is, is uh, a little closer to six, six and a quarter. And then the prism model, the, the stats only model, uh, has Notre Dame covering, but by 7.7. So um, all very, very close, all very much in line with um, what the, the odds makers, uh, how they, they see this game as well. Uh, I agree. Notre Dame has looked good <laughs> for sure. Um, NC State is a much, much more talented team than either navy or tennessee state so that's certainly something that um you know we'll we'll see how will notre dame uh line up in its first game against a a truly uh you know a power five opponent one but um you know the the talent level of an fcs opponent tennessee state and, and of navy who is as we've discussed previously you know just just basically um have a hundred two-star players and and so they're just not going to be quite the same physical uh football team as as what you're going to see most places and and you know nc state is a much much closer uh you know matchup as far as size and speed and strength and, and all those sort of things so um i think that probably uh, could be a little bit of a factor, um, as easy as it's been for the most part for Notre Dame so far this season. They're going to face a little bit of adversity probably for the first time. Uh, but NC State certainly, as you said, wasn't uh, you know playing it at its the the top of its ability either against UConn. But um, they were able to go, you know, find a way to win against what I think is going to be a pretty good UConn defense. Um, Armstrong showed a, a little bit of, of what made him such a productive quarterback two years ago when he and Robert and I were together at Virginia. Uh, they are now back together, but this NC State offense has still has some question marks for sure. Took them a little while to get going. Defensively, they were quite good, though. Um, and, you know, last year they were a top 15 level defense in team performance. They were top 20 against the run. We know Notre Dame is going to lean probably a little more on uh, the rushing attack, although Sam Hartman and those young wide receivers have certainly you know, put together some, some uh, real nice moments in the first couple of games as well. So um, this is similarly, I mean, to what I said about the projections, I think my, my own opinion lines up uh, pretty close to that this is a game that notre dame probably should be favored has a little bit more talent uh fewer questions perhaps um on certainly the offensive side of the ball 
Uh, but NC State has got it, you know, got this game at home. They are a talented enough team to win. I just don't, you know, don't don't quite expect them to be able to pull it off. I do think that Notre Dame by about a touchdown um, seems about right. And then, you know, we'll see if the offense for NC State can take a step forward. Brennan Armstrong uh, becomes even more like that, you know, 2021 quarterback that uh, the 4,000 passing yards and, and, you know, quite a productive runner as well. Um, if he plays anywhere close to that level, yeah, this is a game that NC State can win outright. Uh, but I'm just not sure that the rest of the offensive unit around him is quite there just yet. So I do think that expecting Notre Dame to win this one by about a touchdown makes, makes sense. Xavier, uh, are you on the Notre Dame side as well after what you saw from NC State, or do you think NC State can maybe push Notre Dame at all here? I think this is going to be Notre Dame pretty handedly. Um, they've looked extremely impressive. Now, I understand it's only been Navy and Tennessee State. I get that. But more than anything, Sam Hartman just adds a level of confidence to this offense that has not been there or was not there last year. Uh, you know, obviously, we know he's going to be extremely efficient. We know he's going to take care of the football. We know he has an element of run that he hasn't had to show yet. Uh, to an extent, that running game looks like it could be one of the best running games in the country this year. Once again, I know the competition that they've played, but you know, this is still a team that I, I think, and I saw, and I said this in you know in the preseason um, that I thought that this team could be a uh, you know a sneaky college football playoff team um, if they're able to really put it together defensively. Um, I think what what Hartman's had eight incompletions or seven incompletions through two games. I mean, this kid, this guy was one of my favorite transfer portal, you know, you know, guys. And I, and I thought Notre Dame getting him was a huge get on the flip side with NC state. Brennan Armstrong doesn't look like he's necessarily shaking off 2022 yet. They're going to need 2021 Brennan Armstrong to win this ball game. Uh, they're going to need a guy who's confident um, in his arm. He's confident in the way that he play is playing the game. Um, obviously gives the element of running, uh, which he was able to show last week as well um, against um in, in their last game against uh, UConn, rushing for 96 yards and two touchdowns. But he's going to have to be a better passer, right? 155 yards through the air is not going to cut it against this Notre Dame defense. It's just not. Um, you're going to have to put it, put uh, put together maybe not, I'm, I'm not maybe not his best game of the year, but at least one of his best games of the year for sure. Um, this Notre Dame team for me is just going to continue to kind of put the pieces together, gain its confidence. I think they win this game pretty handedly. Um, and they've got one of those schedules this year, man, that, you know, if they can be a comp, if they can be a competent team and an extremely uh, confident team going into a lot of these weeks, they could spoil a ton of seasons. I, you know, I forgot that they not only play Ohio State, but they also get USC. They are, you know, they get Clemson, they get Duke, they get so many teams that if they put it all together, they could ruin a ton of seasons and put themselves right in the college football playoff conversation. And I think that with Sam Hartman at quarterback, I know Marcus Freeman is going to have that defense rocking. Uh, they were they were able to show even last year, you know, in his first year that against Ohio State in week one, they had a pretty solid defense. Now, given a, a full year under his tutelage, I'm not surprised that their defense, you know, is going to be better than maybe it was last season. You add into the fact that they've got one of, if not the best uh, transfer quarterback in, in Sam Hartman. This is a team that could be really scary this year. Uh, but I think they, they handle business as we get against NC State and continue to roll. And then we see them in what, two weeks against Ohio State? I'm extremely excited for that one after how Ohio State played this past week. I am very excited to hear both of your opinions on this next game. It is Colorado hosting Nebraska and Colorado <laughs> is now a two and a half point favorite. 58 and a half yeah. is the over. Um, it's hard 
to look at Colorado and say, how are they not going to beat the breaks off Nebraska in this game? But let's not forget Nebraska was holding Minnesota to no points into the second half here or three points or whatever it was. They do end up choking and losing because uh, Jeff Sims threw a late pick, just a terrible decision. And uh, Minnesota drove down the field and scored. But uh, I, this is ultimate offense versus defense game here, Nick. And I don't know. It's hard to not pick Colorado after what we saw last week. Yeah. I mean, how much do things change in one week? Right. Um, even though expectations are not and haven't been super high for Nebraska, I think uh, what in a, in an early look ahead uh, line, Nebraska was a touchdown favorite, something like that this time last week. Um, and then it opened again uh, with, Colorado being a, a favorite of, of a field goal or more. Uh, our projections, kind of like the Kansas and Illinois game, uh, are a bit all over the place. Um, we, I, I made this note in our Discord, which the Campus to Canton Discord and the C2C Winning Edge uh, channel, um, where we do release all of our projections, our team projections, our player projections, all that good stuff. Um, anybody who's followed along with us in the past know that we do team performance updates each week. We release early lines at the very end of uh, the, the previous weekend's games and then make some adjustments based on uh, stats and, and things like that for our team performance ratings. Well, in week one, half the teams play FCS opponents, and in week two, basically the other half do. Uh, so we've done this a couple of times in the past, but made the decision that we're not going to do uh, just a, a full team performance rating update for week one. But I did make a couple of manual adjustments. Colorado got one. Texas State got one. Stanford got one. Those were all positive. Uh, and then I, I gave a, a negative uh, manual update to Arkansas State and Northwestern. But everybody else you know, stays the same. So uh, Colorado, uh, our, our projections maybe aren't fully uh, capturing how much better this team looked last week than uh, the Colorado team of recent years and, and last year specifically. Um, but, you know, the way that we do the, the player ratings and things like that, I mean, Colorado is now 42nd in overall roster strength. That's, that's a, a, a much, much improved roster. Um, and they are, you know, right on par, if not a little bit better than Nebraska talent wise. I mean, I think that's, you know, I think our eyes probably told us that watching these two games, but our numbers back that up. Nebraska's 50th in overall roster strength, Colorado, as I said, 42nd. Um, and you know, Nebraska has to go to Boulder. Um, this is a rivalry game, even though, you know, they don't play as much anymore. It's back-to-back -back road games for Nebraska. Um, they do get a couple of extra days to prepare. So maybe that evens out the back-to-back the -back of it a little bit. And you would expect that, you know, from week one to week two, uh, that this Nebraska team probably will make a little bit of a jump. They did suffer an injury um, to starting wide receiver Isaiah, uh, excuse me, Isaiah Garcia Castaneda. It's going to be out for the year with an ACL injury. Um, so Jeff Sims is going to have one fewer uh, option or weapon to, to work with offensively. And, you know, that 
obviously was the, the side of the ball where they really struggled last year. Nebraska did not grade out particularly well defensively last season, especially against the run. They were 89th in overall team performance, 103rd rushing defensive team performance. Um, and, you know, that that's not necessarily uh, a great sign when you're thinking about how explosive and fast that Colorado offense looked. But Nebraska played a really, really solid game defensively against Minnesota last week. And, um, you know, Minnesota does not have the explosive offense, uh, at least passing that Colorado clearly does. Um, so it will be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, Nick Heinrich, one of the Nebraska starting linebackers, missed last week. It sounded like he was probably uh, or should be considered probable for this week. But one of their top defensive linemen, Ty Robinson, was ejected for targeting in the second half of last week's game. So he's going to miss the first half. Um, so it's, you know, there, there are some uh, questions. There, there are a few spots where we can be a little bit uh, concerned that, that maybe Nebraska uh, will be less than 100% defensively. And, and uh, I, I don't know. I don't have a ton of confidence that, though we do have Nebraska slightly favored, they are about a half point favored in our team strength ratings. That that doesn't give me a ton of confidence. Usually, when we say the wrong team is favored, we've got a pretty strong track record. We're one and zero this year. Um, this is the first of, of a couple that we'll talk about today. But as I said, Colorado does have the talent edge, three and a half points roughly there. Uh, but the Prism model, which takes mostly you know last year's results into account would have Nebraska favored by five. So uh, the projections are all over the place a little bit. We do have Nebraska uh, pulling an upset on the road. I personally am not all that optimistic. Um, but again, should be a fairly uh, good game, pretty evenly matched as far as what our numbers expect uh, talent-wise for sure. And a couple of you know new coaches, one can he follow up last week's incredible start and another can they show improvement from what was a missed opportunity so um another another fun game that that should be uh a lot of fun to watch xavier how much does colorado win by enough enough pandering from nick 27 and i'll bite your hand off if you say anything less uh, <laughs> <laughs> no I, I think i think personally if i'm the only thing i would think is going to change from this from last week uh, to this week is Nebraska is going to throw that playbook and that uh, offensive coordinator is throwing his game plan out the window. I felt personally watching that game that they made Jeff Sims too much into too much of a passer. Uh, that kid runs a sub four, four, let him go. Just let him go. Too many times it's like third and three, and I'm watching Jeff Sims sitting, you know, doing three step drops. I'm just like, let the kid go. What are we doing? Like, um, you know, I, I genuinely think when when you look back on that game, if you're a Nebraska fan, you go, okay, defensively we can play with some with, with you know the middle tier of this conference, but offensively we have to improve. Um, and I think a lot of that is just once again play calling. I, I thought Jeff Sims was being asked to be too much of a of a pack, pocket passing quarterback when that's not necessarily his strength. Um, he is a guy who is extremely dynamic, but having him throw the football as much as they did last week, I thought was a misstep um, as a team. The one thing I will say is offensively, they'll be prepared for what a lot of uh, what uh, what Colorado did, because a lot of what Colorado does is what Minnesota does. They like to spread you out wide. 
Um, and they like to th- go east and west to then beat you with speed north and south. Um, and I think for, for uh, Nebraska, you know, they're going to be ready to ready to, to flow to the ball each way um, and just be prepared for that. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what Colorado does because this, if anything, is your prototypical letdown game, right? Where it is a 10-point ball game with seven minutes to go in the fourth quarter and – you know, Shadur Sanders goes from having five touchdowns to having two touchdowns and two picks. Like, this is your perfect letdown game after what you just put together. Um, I mean, heck, the week leading up to we're talking about ticket costs for the game, right? We're talking about anything but football at this point. And so I think right now, if you're prime and you're, and you're the guys up in Colorado, this is an opportunity to continue to bolster your argument uh, for being one of the teams in the, in the Pac-12 that people should be reckoned with. Um, and if you're Nebraska, I mean, this is an opportunity to get a team that I think maybe smelling itself a little bit um, or maybe a little bit over, maybe a little, a tad bit overhyped after last week. I mean, heck, they jumped from not being anywhere near the AP poll to being now 22 um, in the AP poll. So, Look, if you're if you're Nebraska, you're, you're you're banking on the fact that that Colorado's coming in with their first home game. Maybe a little overzealous, maybe a little overhyped. Remember, we are dealing with 18, 19, and twenty year olds. Wouldn't be surprised if the first play of the game was a feet flicker, and uh, you know the, the game got rolling. So, give me Colorado by a lot, but you know once once again, wouldn't be surprised if Nebraska. You know, like I said, it's more of a mental game for Colorado to be able to win by that much uh, than it is to necessarily uh, Nebraska to hold them to to under uh, what we expect. Going to be a fun one for sure. And uh, wouldn't be surprising to see Colorado take a step back, but I am not going to say that after picking against <laughs> them last week. I'm picking them in my article this week for sure after what I saw. I mean, sometimes the eye test is all you need. Uh, Ole Miss on the road against Tulane is the next game. Up here, Ole Miss is a 7.5-point road favorite. A lot of road favorites in the big games this this week. 63-and-a-half is the total here, Nick. This is going to be a fun game. Two ranked teams as well. How do you see this one going? Well, I obviously had a, a really bad read on Tulane or maybe a bad read on South Alabama last week. I thought that was uh, a, a game that, you know, Tulane might be in trouble uh, at home, but they took care of business. And, and I know it was close in the third quarter, but that one never really seemed like it was in doubt Tulane just looked like the better team from, from the start and Michael Pratt, really, really good quarterback. Um, you know, hasn't uh, certainly hasn't taken a step back in, in any way. And, and I think is capable of uh, putting together strong performances against, you know, an Ole Miss an SEC opponent. Um, I did hear on the broadcast that he was limping a bit toward the end of the game. I haven't seen any, like I didn't even make a, a note in the team profiles, you know, do our orange color coding to, to designate an injury to watch um, because I, I believe he just you know played through it. Didn't, didn't come out or anything, um, but maybe just something to watch. Maybe after the you know adrenaline dried down or uh, died down a little after the game, sometimes an injury can, uh, show itself a, a little bit more on, on the day after or, or the week after. So uh, maybe just something to, to pay attention to there. Also, the running game doesn't quite, you know, it, it's not the 2022 uh, two-lane running game. Um, not 100% sure who is going to be, even after you know one week, who's going to be that top ball carrier. Uh, Shady Clayton Johnson did get the start, did get the first carry, um, did not play very much after that. I know he'd been limited with an injury 
in the fall. Again, haven't made, you know, we removed because he played last week the injury designation in our team profiles. But again, maybe that, you know, maybe I should put it back because uh, I am a little curious. We didn't really see much of him after that. Uh, Makai Hughes, Cedric Lewis, Iverson Celestine, all those guys uh, saw some time, but it, it really was for the most part, the Michael Pratt show. And, you know, understandably, he, he's going to be a very, very, uh, he's going to be one of the better quarterbacks that Ole Miss plays this year. We'll put it that way. And, and Ole Miss, of course, is going to be playing uh, a lot of really good quarterbacks. But um, uh, they've got their own. You know, Jackson Dart fended off a, a challenge from Spencer Sanders this offseason, won the job, came out. Huge game. Yeah, it was against an FCS opponent, a, a worse opponent than uh, what Tulane uh, had to, to uh, get through in, in week one. But uh, Quinchon Judkins got a little bit of work. Trey Harris, the incoming transfer from Louisiana Tech, four touchdown catches. Uh, and just an incredible uh, performance from him. Uh, so offensively, Ole Miss is, is you know, just as good, if not better, at least got off to uh, an excellent start. And they're a little shorthanded. Uh, probably didn't hurt him obviously last week, but Caden Prescorn, the transfer tight end from Memphis, did not play. Sounds like he is actually going to miss the first three or four games. Michael Trigg, I guess, was suspended for the first half. Um, there was a report prior to the game that he wasn't going to play. He ended up playing in the second half. Um, but you know, the the firepower that Ole Miss showed offensively uh, last week, they they didn't really uh, need either of those guys, especially early on defensively um it'll be a little bit of a challenge i mean the the game last week went very very well against mercer mercer has a pretty fun offense and Ole Miss kept him in check uh really well throughout the the entirety of the game but there are a lot of new faces as we, as we discussed in the offseason in our previews um a lot of incoming first year transfers are going to start as many as half a dozen uh another Half dozen are, are probably going to be rotating in and out, uh, coming off the bench. So um, there perhaps is a little bit of concern that taking a step up in competition and, and going against a uh, veteran established quarterback like um, Michael Pratt, you know, will, will definitely be a challenge. So um, I think that Ole Miss is is still the the better team i think that they are um certainly the most talented team have uh, fewer overall question marks even though they're still a little you know how will all the transfers come together uh a little bit of a question tulane is still a, a very very tough opponent and i don't hate that we actually are on tulane to cover our team strength uh, projection is 7.4 and the official uh, Vegas insider consensus line that we use each week uh, is 7.5. So I, I don't hate it. I think Tulane can keep it close. Um, and I understand why the stats model has this is pretty much a coin flip, but uh, the talent number and almost does have almost a double digit talent edge, uh, which is adjusted for the home field advantage that, that Tulane will get. But, you know, that worries me a little bit. This, this game could uh, get out of hand if Ole Miss is able to, to build up a lead. They might just pull away uh, being the more talented team. But I think this Tulane team is, is tough to beat week in and week out. And 
Um, I'm, I think I learned my lesson a little bit last week. I, I, I feel like they certainly deserve the benefit of the doubt and, and are capable of, of keeping this game close, even though I think Ole Miss probably should go in there and, and uh, win the game. Yeah, I mean, I think on the surface, Xavier, it looks like most people are probably going to be picking Ole Miss, the SEC team, against the G5 team. But we did that in the Rose Bowl, and Tulane beat up on USC. Uh, Ole Miss is a very good team here, but do you think Tulane can hang with them? I think Tulane might get the upset here. I'll be perfectly honest with you. The one thing that really surprised me about last week in particular was Tulane secondary. Uh, coming into this year, they had a ton of transfers in their secondary, right? Um Three out, you know, four out of their five starters in the secondary um, transfers, and they looked good. Like they were opportunistic, they were physical. Um, one of the major things with with schools in the G five level that everybody that, that concerns a lot of people is the height of their DB room. Um, and barring the one, uh, barring Cam, and I'm not even gonna try and pronounce his last name. Um, he being five eight, everybody else is five eleven plus, um, and that typically bodes well i um, in a lot of these matchups one of the things that mercer struggled with a lot was just being able to keep be in and around some of the passes i mean jackson dart was throwing back side back shoulder fades like it was going out of style um and, and really just looking for his most physical receiver playing and play out and they were eating on the fact that they were just bigger than them um i think tulane can battle with some of that for sure my biggest question is really can they stop them in the trenches um, and that's where, if you're a Tulane fan, that's your biggest concern. Um, you know, obviously Judkins, that running game as a whole, just elite last season. Um, and you don't and you don't expect for that to change all that much this year, um, as you expect Ole Miss to pretty much be, you know, a, a, at the very least a balanced offense, um, even with the progression of Jackson Dart. I think this game is going to be extremely close. Um, I think Tulane can run with, can play with them offensively. And I think that if they get enough defensive stops, I think the one thing when you look at last week's game as well against Mercer, Mercer moved the ball at will. They just couldn't keep the ball at all. I think they had four turnovers as a whole. One of them came on a kickoff return. The second one, the first one came on the, I think the one of the first plays in scrimmage, like they just couldn't keep the ball. Um, a lot of it was unforced turnovers, um, just, you know, dropping snaps, I think one of them they snapped it and the, the center snaps it to his ankle, ricochets off. Like just just absolutely unacceptable things if you're gonna have any opportunity to contend with, with with Ole Miss. And I think this week, obviously, Tulane's gonna be a little bit better there. Uh, but I think it comes down to Ole Miss's running game at the end of the day. If Ole Miss can run the football at will, as they've shown in previous games, Jackson Dart is gonna be I'm gonna say he's gonna be a non-factor. But his ability at quarterback will obviously not be as much, as important if they can run the football. I, I'm extremely I'm excited to see how Tulane contends with a more balanced looking uh, Ole Miss. I think last year you you saw a lot of teams pack the box and force Jackson Dart to throw the ball 30 times to beat them. I think this year you might see some. I think this year if Jackson Dart's a little bit better, obviously you're going to see a little bit of a difference there. Um, like I said, I think Tulane can upset them. To be perfectly honest with you, I think if like if Nick said if they come in feeling lightly like USC did last year in the Rose in, um, in that bowl game. They're gonna they're gonna walk go home uh one and one. But give me Ole Miss here. I think they're just too balanced offensively for this two lane team. All right, let's go to the next game up here, which is Texas AM on the road against Miami. The Aggies are four and a half point road favorites. Another road favorite. The total is 51 and a half, Nick. Uh, we saw this uh maybe the most boring game in the history of football last year, uh, when Miami beat Texas AM uh, at college station. Low scoring game. Neither offense was getting it going. It was actually pretty fun, but it was uh, so, so low scoring. I expect this to be a little bit 
higher scoring here. Both offenses are looking better early here, but how do you see this game going and uh, can the Hurricanes pull off the upset at home? Uh, our projections think that they certainly can. Um, and, and we talked about this a little bit in our previews. Uh, Miami is the, the most talented defense in the country, at least according to our roster strength numbers. Defensively, number one, I mean, their, their rating is, is uh, off the charts. I mean, they have the most talented defensive line in the country. Um, they are top three in the front seven ratings in our position strength ratings. Uh, linebacker group is, is uh, top 25 nationally, but um, the secondary is, is number two in position strength. So uh, Miami has a lot of experience on that side of the ball. They're top 30 in defensive returning production. Uh, Cameron Kitchens is an All-American in safety. Um, and then they supplemented that experience with uh, some talented and experienced transfers. Um, they're probably going to have, you know, two or three start, and they're going to have another four or five who rotate in uh, as transfer, you know, as, as contributors on the defensive side of the ball. Um, I agree with what you said. These offenses both look better. So if Miami is legitimately, uh, you know, talented enough to be one of the, the, best defenses in the country. And they would have to take a step forward statistically because they were 54th in defensive team performance last season. Overall, they were 96th against the pass and, and that Texas A&M passing offense got off to a really strong start uh, last week. Connor Wegman, his receivers, maybe what, five touchdown passes, right? So um, it'll be a challenge, but I, I do think that Miami's uh, ceiling defensively is among the elite. I, I do think, think that that is possible. Uh, and Miami offensively, I mean, you know, it was only against Miami of Ohio, um, but they looked pretty good. We didn't really see uh, any concern about Tyler Van Dyke's hand. I know we had, there have been some reports uh, and he, he addressed them uh, close to game time that, that uh, he'd missed a little time with a, a hand injury. Uh, the week leading up to practice or, or, you know, week prior or something like that. Um, but look fine. You know, they got a big play early on from Colby Young, who did leave the game with an injury, but returned. It looks like he's back and good to go. Um, Elijah Arroyo, the the expected starter at tight end, missed the game. Uh, and I'm, uh, it sounds like he's still questionable this week. Uh, a couple of Miami offensive linemen backups, most likely, um, I mean, Zion Nelson would be a starter, but hasn't played in, in quite a bit. So at this point, they haven't really um, been expecting to uh, to lean on him. But, um, you know, they're, they're maybe a little bit thin in some spots on offense, dealing with a couple of injuries, dealing with a couple of guys, getting back to full strength. But that running game looked really, really good. Henry Parrish, Donald Chaney, A.J. Allen, Mark Fletcher, the true freshman. Um, I, I think... I think Miami's going to be going to be a tough team to beat this year, and, and I think we saw some evidence of that last week against Miami of Ohio. But Texas A and M, you know, is an improved team as well. Uh, they have a, a very experienced defense, graded out a little bit better than Miami did even last year. So that should be a very tough test for the Miami uh, offense. But you know, will will that first week's performance the the what 52 points that they put up against uh new mexico um 
can they carry that over? You know, Texas A&M was not a great offense, as we all know, last year. They brought in Bobby Petrino to call the plays. Everybody's waiting, you know, counting down the days until that blows up. Um, but in the in the meantime, Connor Wegman looked great. Evan Stewart looks like, you know, the five-star recruit that he was. Um, Noah Thomas coming out of nowhere, basically. But, uh, you know, had a, had a huge fall camp, it sounded like. And at 6'6", huge target making plays already uh, and they're deep at that receiver position. And I Smith has been a playmaker in the past. Moose Muhammad has been a starter in the past. Um, so it's, it's, uh, you know, Texas A&M has, has the potential also to, to take a big step forward. Um, they too have dealt with some injuries on the offensive line, but you know, uh, against a, another opponent where there was a big, big talent edge. Um, they played New Mexico last week they took care of business and it'll be very, very um, I think this game might be the one we have the potential to learn the most because I do think that both of these teams are better. And I think that both defenses have the chance, have the potential to be, you know, certainly top 20, maybe top 10 level defenses. Um, But you know, if these offenses come out and and, and uh, look competent, put up points, um, I think that's a really, really good sign. And and I do think that these teams are a little more evenly matched maybe than, than some might uh, expect. You know, Texas Stadium being a four-and-a-half-point favorite on the road, being a ranked team, they're getting a little bit more respect as far as their potential or ability to bounce back after disappointment from last year. Um, but I think that these teams are pretty evenly matched. So I don't hate that we're on Miami. I'm not sure that we're going to get that outright upset, you know, that wrong team favored projection. Um, but I do, I do see this game being close and could see it being decided by a field goal, uh, for sure. And, and, um, you know, I don't hate that we're on Miami, but, um, I I think either way, we're going to learn, we're going to learn about these two teams and, and especially the team that, that wins and the way that they win. Um, I, I think that, that we'll uh, be able this time next week to, to say, Oh yeah, this Texas A&M team or this Miami team really is going to be a, a tough team to beat this season. Xavier. I mean, uh, gotta be more entertaining than last year's game uh, mm-hmm. at the very least. Right. So uh, how do you see this one going? You would truly hope so. Um, I, I really like A&M. And I really liked Connor Wegman, and more so than just from what we saw last week, but what we saw down the stretch of last year, um, right? They, they were able to, you know, if I'm not correct me if I'm wrong, but they they were able to put beat LSU and put up a, a pretty, you know, pretty nice showing at the end of last season. You saw them get their footing a little bit towards the end of last year, and I think that's going to bode well um, for the beginning of this season and in this game in particular. I think Connor got a lot of mental and physical reps towards the end of last year. I mean, like I said, in that LSU game, they beat him 20, uh, 38 to 23. Um, he threw 12 of 18, 155 yards and uh, two touchdowns in that game. And he looked like a comfortable quarterback in week one. Now I get, I get it. They were playing New Mexico, right? Nothing to go home and run and tell a mom about, but he looked comfortable with that receiving core. He looked extremely confident throwing to, I mean, what arguably is one of, if not the most talented receiving core in college football um, outside of maybe Ohio State. Now, you know, Ohio State obviously is, is an all-star team over there. But outside of them, Washington? Got, uh, fair, 
Fair. Fair. <laughs> Fair. I, I just, I, you know, going off a of 247. I, I like where your head's at. But... I, I just think, off of, I mean, if we're going to be off a of 247 rating, maybe I have an argument based off of what they've done in college football so far, the teams you named, obviously, ahead. Um, but I, I think where this A&M, where I'm, I'm picking A&M in this game, I have just more confidence in what I, saw, what I see from Wegman so far. I still think Tyler Van Dyke is pulling the string a little bit on himself. Um, watching him against Miami of Ohio, every throw looked overly calculated. Every throw looked a little bit uh, aimed, per se. I, I feel like he wasn't confident, necessarily. I feel like we're looking at a kid who was, you know, two years ago, the talk of the town. Well, will he be a top five pick? You know, is he the best quarterback in his class? And now we're talking about a kid who, you know, would be lucky to be a day two guy with with, with recent uh, performances. And I think, you know, he may, you know, may feel some of that because when I watch him play, even though, yeah, maybe the hand injury wasn't a problem, he just didn't look comfortable at all times, right? Throwing a very ill-advised pick at the beginning of the game, um, having really – Against a Miami, Ohio team, that's a pedestrian stat line, right? 17 of 22, 201, one touchdown, one interception. Wouldn't call that necessarily a confident performance uh, from my, you know, from my QB1. And that's not to say that Miami defensively isn't going to be elite this year. But I think this game comes down to which quarterback decides to, to you know, to take the leash off and, and go for it. Um, and I think Connor's going to take those risks. Maybe it's because he has a better receiving core and Evan Stewart and company, but some of it sometimes that's all that separates it right um so give me AM in this game I, I think i'm not gonna go on a limb yet and say AM is gonna be a team that competes for the sec west at this point but look if they can if they put a, a really good showing against one of our you know one of our higher rated defenses in miami that's a team that has the talent to compete with anybody in the sec all right go canes uh let's go to oregon uh on the road against texas tech Oregon is a six and a half point home favorite or road favorite here. And the total is 66 and a half. Nick, last week we saw uh, Texas Tech completely hose me and lose in overtime uh, to Wyoming. I thought they would go in and play a little better than they did. Wyoming, just a tough home field advantage. I discounted it and I probably won't do it again. So uh, tough for me, but Oregon was a well-oiled machine ripped apart Portland State, uh, put up a ton of points and a ton of yards. It's hard to see how Texas Tech plays to Oregon in this game, but Tyler Shook has the revenge game narrative from uh, a team that, that he left, and it's quite possible they were looking past Wyoming and towards Oregon, and, you know, just you look past the opponent, you don't respect them, and they will beat you in football, and that's what happened last week so i expect a better showing from texas tech is it going to be a good enough one against oregon um i i think it's possible um i mean this you know this is a a fishy looking line right i mean i don't i don't usually uh read too much into to that sort of thing or, or but uh Texas Tech, as disappointing as they were last week, Oregon is just, I mean, they were a juggernaut last week, 81 to 7. Um, even though this game is on the road and Lubbock is a tough place to play, like Laramie is a tough place to play, um, six and a half, just that, like, man, wouldn't you expect Oregon to be a double digit favorite? Uh, like when I saw our projected point spread, our team, our team strength model, um, I put those numbers in 
before I look at the lines and my first reaction to that was like, Oh, Hey, that's, that's kind of interesting. We might be on Texas tech here and a little bit of a, a bounce back spot, um, kind of a sneaky, uh, you know, close game. And then I go to the, the Vegas insider to, to look up the consensus and, and it turns out we're on Oregon to cover by almost a full point. So um, that was a, a little bit of a surprise, but I, I think that this Texas tech team is not, uh, you know, the, the, the result last week isn't truly indicative of how good this team can be. Uh, there were some struggles, obviously, at times. Uh, Wyoming is one of those teams that I think really will benefit from the rule change where the, the you know clock runs after a first down uh, for the, you know, other than the final two minutes of the half. Um, they can go really slow, play, keep away. We've talked about it plenty of times. Um, and Texas Tech is a team that really likes to go fast. And those those types of, of teams, you know, the high-paced, run a lot of plays, run a, you know, a, a short time between snaps, um, those are the ones that seem to be thrown off a little bit by these rules. And, and Wyoming, you know, being at 5,000 feet, being a, a road game, being an opponent that is – um, always just a, a little bit tricky, plays teams closer than you might expect. It wasn't a shock to me that Wyoming won that game. Um, but, you know, it wouldn't shock me either if Texas Tech bounces back in a big way. And, and you know, I don't expect them to pull off an upset, but I could see sort of a, you know, reverse situation where uh, Oregon's in a tough really hard fought, um, try to find a way to win it at the end kind of game. Um, so this, yeah, this is a, a sneaky, really interesting game to me. I do want to see how Texas Tech bounces back. I do want to see um, how Tyler Shuck plays. Uh, I'm you know, personally invested in, in Tyler Shuck from a uh, college fantasy football standpoint. So hoping he... Um, you know, gets back and, and that offense is a little more consistent than what we saw last week. Um, but Bo Nix, I mean, looked like one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Again, uh, Troy Franklin looked incredible. The running, <laughs> the running game, uh, very deep. I mean, we got to see an extended look at Jordan James for the first time and, and he had a huge uh, afternoon. Um, Oregon has been, a little bit banged up in fall camp. They were without, they did that. They won 81 to seven and were without six players, uh, including three projected starters on defense. So, I mean, you know, they, they have the, the potential if those guys come back as like uh, Mace Funa and, and Justin Jacobs and Evan Williams, um, if they're back and, and, you know, full speed, then Oregon's an even stronger team than what they put on the field last week. So um, it'll be telling. And, and one of the things Xavier said at the, the beginning of the show is, is the Pac-12, uh, do they have an argument to be one of the, or considered the best uh, conference in, in college football this year? I definitely agree that they could very well be the, the most fun. Um, but this is a game that, you know, if Oregon goes into Lubbock and, and, uh, gets an impressive win 
in kind of a sneaky spot. Um, you know, maybe maybe they do take a step forward to, to saying like, yeah, we've got multiple legitimate playoff national championship contending teams. Oregon, in my personal opinion, is, is a little bit outside of that right now. Um, but if they play anything close to what they did last week against Portland State, then, you know, they can make a real statement by by putting together a, a strong performance at Texas Tech. But I do I do kind of trust our projections and they all line up very, very close to what the odds makers have. We're 7.4 in the team strength projection, 6.7 in the talent edge and 7.8 in the uh, prism, the, the stats only model. So um, all of those line up on Oregon covering. So maybe I should be rooting for that, you know, blowout win, leave no doubt. Um, but, but part of me really does expect this to be a, a fourth quarter game. And we'll just see if Oregon is able to pull away in that fourth quarter or if Texas Tech is going to, you know, do like Wyoming did and, and suck them into a last minute overtime situation. Xavier, how do you see this game going? I mean, uh, like I said, Texas Tech has, you know, Tyler Shook has the revenge game narrative and all that, but Oregon looked dominant and Texas Tech just lost to Wyoming. So uh, hard to see the scenario where Texas Tech uh, makes this a tough game, but they absolutely can. You overlook an opponent, and Wyoming will beat you, just like Texas Tech did uh, last week. So how do you see this one going? Oregon looks like the team that finished last year. Um, and I said this, you know, to many people last season, and, and me, me and Nick, you know, we talked about it on the podcast last year. You know, Oregon was one of the best teams in college football from weeks three through 12. Now, obviously, we understand what happened in week one, right? That, 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 you know, you can't overlook what happened against Georgia. But the rest of the year, they played like one of the better teams in college football, um, you know, and, 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 you know, even in their losses, three-point loss to Washington, four-point loss to Oregon State. They still were one of the better teams in college football, and they played like it, especially on the offensive side of the football, and that hasn't changed. And I think, realistically, they're going to be a team that competes for the Pac-12 this year. They should actually run buckshot over Texas Tech, um, and that's just what should happen. Uh, you're talking about a team that, and I've talked about it a lot on this podcast already, but the balanced, the balanced nature of what that team has. Bo Nix does not have to just beat you throwing it 40 times a game, and that's when Bo Nix is at his best. When Bo Nix is allowed to be in a balanced system, uh, where he can also use his legs to be, a, you know, a sprinkle of surprise. Uh, but they've got guys in the backfield who could kill you. Troy Franklin is a first-round draft pick, bona fide. This should be a team that that covers that this, you know, that that spread pretty handedly. Um, well, I, last time I checked, they were wasn't it six and a half, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they 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 should obliterate that. Personally, uh, I understand the Tyler <laughs> Chuck. I understand the Tyler Chuck revenge factor, and I, and I love a revenge story. I love for him, you know, to go in there and show them what could have been and what they could have had, uh, which you know was all in purpose is Justin Herbert, you know, Jr. But that's probably not going to happen. Now, I, now the best of both worlds, he goes out there, has an amazing game, goes for like three hundred and fifty yards and four touchdowns, and Oregon still wins by twenty. I mean, this is just what I kind of expect uh, after looking last week because the, the one concern that I had with Texas Tech is their, is their run defense. And the one thing that, you know, kept Wyoming in the game was the fact that they were able to be a little bit more balanced in times where the passing game wasn't going all that well, right? Uh, the quarterback went 18 of 34 and they still won the game. Like that should tell you about how well, you know, how, you know, uh, porous at times the Texas Tech 
uh, defense was, especially when your offense gives you a 17 to nothing lead to start the game off. I mean, heck, that you can't start many games better than that to be up 17-0 in the first quarter, and sometimes somehow they let it slip away in, in in you know the next three quarters. So, I, I think you know Oregon should go in there and handle business. I understand Lubbock is a place where upsets tip you know happen every every couple of years. Uh, there's one that you know just feels a little bit magical. I'm not sure it's this one. Yeah, it's gonna be this. This looks like a landslide, but I, I just. I don't know. I just don't feel comfortable enough to, to mess with it at all. Week one. All right, boys, let's go to the game of the century of the week here. My Texas Longhorns on the road against Alabama. I believe this is number 11 versus number four here. Bama is a touchdown favorite at home. The total is 55 and a half. Uh, Nick, why is the under the best bet in this game? <laughs> you know, I haven't put a lot of energy into uh, to considering totals so far this year and part of that is is because i've just been so scared that we're doing something wrong because of the rule changes and you know, yeah we yeah be shaving off uh plays per game and and the first you know the, the early results were oh yeah you know it's what we thought um but at the end of the week the over actually you know wasn't wasn't looking so bad so um i i haven't I don't know. I mean, our projection, I guess I would disagree <laughs> because our projection is <laughs> got it at 61 uh, and uh, the official total that we are grading ourselves against is 55 and a half. So they just both got um, really tight last year. That that was it. Yeah, both offenses yeah. looked really tight. So sure. Sure. And you know, there there's, uh, I mean, Jalen Milrow looked great last week. Um, so I think that that probably uh, makes you feel a little more confident if you're Alabama, certainly, or if you're, you're an Alabama uh, fan. Um, Quinn Ewers went down with injury in this game last year. Uh, that certainly had an impact. He's back and healthy and, and I think in line for a really, really strong season. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, this the, the way last year's game played out was a little bit of a surprise. Alabama looked uh, very beatable, and they ended up losing a couple of really close games. Um, the Alabama team that that you know I didn't get a really really close look at, uh, but they were dominant against Middle Tennessee, who was a bowl team last year. I mean, it's not eighty-one to seven against Portland State. It was what fifty-six or fifty-nine to seven uh, against a. a you know, group of five team that that uh, a lot of people expect is going to be competitive in Conference USA and, and maybe make it back to a bowl game this year. So uh, very, very impressive performance. Jalen Milrow looked great. Um, the defense looked very, very good. And, you know, Alabama is a little shorthanded on defense. Malachi Moore and um, Jalen Key, both of whom are starters, uh, more at the the star nickelback and and key at uh, safety, the transfer from uh, UAB. Uh, they sound like they're back at practice, but are questionable in this game. Devonte Smith missed last week, and and I'm not sure is expected back. Um, Caleb Downs looks incredible, but he's still a true freshman. Uh, Going to be starting his second game at, at safety, and and the step up in talent from middle Tennessee to uh, Texas, specifically the, the skill position players 
uh, is going to be a significant step up. So it will be interesting to see, um, you know, how Caleb Downs and and perhaps a, a less than 100% secondary uh, looks against guys like Xavier Worthy and and uh, Adonis Mitchell, Jordan Whittington, Jatavian Sanders, uh, the running backs, which included true freshman starter C.J. Baxter, who left with an injury, unfortunately, but sounds like is back at practice and, and ready to go. Uh, last I heard. Um, so, uh, you know, I personally don't have a strong opinion on this one. I've said that a lot this week and, and I guess it's just, I don't know if I'm just, I I found that this week too, Nick, I've, uh, you know, in the midst of writing my article for betting pros that I do, I pick 10 games every week and, you know, the lines are really good this week, number one. Mm. It, well, first of all, you, that is expected. After that big loss from Colorado last week, uh, the books are looking to make up some money. Like, they had an emergency meeting on Sunday and stuff, like, with the odds makers. Like, it was it was a big deal. Everyone was just excited about Deion, so everyone bet on him, and they ended up winning. So, you know, just that's just part of it. But, yeah, looking a lot of tight lines this week and a lot of good matchups. Um so I've, I'm kind of with you. I've had the, I've been hemming and hawing a lot on mm-hmm. my picks this week. So yeah, and uh, I do I'm that all the time, but I feel like, <laughs> I feel like this week it's, it's, uh, well, I'm doing more... it too. So it's not, and yeah. I'm usually put my foot down. So <laughs> even when it's wrong, it's usually right. down. So, and I don't but feel project- that this week. Our projections are are close. Don't see a whole lot of, you know, don't see a big edge. Uh, we are on Texas to cover in all three models. Um, but the projections are between five and six points. So, I mean, it's it's still very, very close. Do expect it to be a great game. Obviously, the game of the week, as you said. Um, and, you know, I, I said we'll probably learn the most about Texas A&M and Miami, but uh, I'm really excited about what we'll learn about Texas and Alabama, too, because uh, there's part of me that really thinks that Texas is good enough, talented enough to be uh, conference champ and playoff caliber team. Uh, there's part of me that uh, knows that Alabama is that talented, but sort of fears that maybe this year's Alabama team is even more vulnerable than than last year's when they lost a couple of games and, and could have lost uh, at least one more to Texas. So um, I don't know. I, I, I expect it'll be close. I expect it'll be hard fought. Um, I do think that, you know, Alabama – should win um but i will not be shocked if if texas finds a way to get it done especially um you know if if they're able to to uh create some big time opportunities in the passing game perhaps against a a little bit banged up alabama secondary uh xavier your thoughts on uh texas versus bama here i mean is this the year where i i think if texas beats alabama i would even say they're back but you know, didn't do it last year. And this year, uh, Bama is at home and a touchdown favorite here. They don't have their Heisman contender and Bryce Young, but um, this is still a very, very good team. Texas is good on defense. Offense looked okay. Uh, my my questions are about the O-line. Probably going to use seven or eight to block every play against Bama. So how do you see this one playing? Well, you did some of that last year to great success, um, especially early in that game. A lot of two-man routes. Uh, Tennessee did that as well last year to great success as well. Um, but I think, you know, I think this is this is sizing up for an Alabama butt whooping. I, I hate to say it against Texas. 
because uh, I like Texas this year, and I think they're more of a complete team. And honestly, I think this is their best chance to get into the playoff. Well, I would say with expanding the 12 teams, maybe they'll have more chances being in the SEC, but this is usually their best chance to do it this year. Um, with the Big 12, I think being extremely winnable um, and then probably and then being, I think, the best team in the Big 12. Um, but, man, I'm sorry. There's just too many press clippings for Saban at this point, guys. Like, let's not forget who we're talking about here. We're talking about the possibly the greatest coach of all time, depending on who you're talking to. Maybe he is just outright uh, easily the best team of the last two decades. This team just isn't going to fall off of a cliff in a year. And, and I think that a lot of conjecture has been ta- has been given about this game and about how close it was last year with a Heisman quarterback and things of that nature. And I go and I look back at that game and go, all things considered, Alabama played its worst game of the year and still came out victorious. I look at this year's game and I go, I'm not sure Texas is ready for what Jalen Miro really is. Um, I, I don't think that people really understand what this offense is going to look like on Saturday. I think that's a lot of what the concern maybe is. But if I can harken back to a player that I think this offense will almost look almost look identical to, it's going to be when Jalen Hurts was quarterback. It's going to be a lot of run. It's going to be a lot of them leaning on you for four quarters. He's going to hit maybe three to four game-changing deep balls. That's it, right? We're not going to hit maybe 15 whole shots and you're just like, this guy's going first overall. No, he's going to hit maybe three to four, maybe five, you know, deep balls here and there. But more than anything, they're going to lean and lean and lean on you for four quarters. What should open the door for Texas to be a little bit more, uh, to be for this game to be closer? Uh, but ultimately, I think they, they have the offensive line. They have a little bit more of a talented roster. Uh, to do that with, and they're going to be able to protect their defense a little bit more than when they had Bryce. Um, I felt last year their offense was more of an explosive offense, but also led to their defense having to be, you know, a lot of bend, don't break because their offense was getting in and off the field, whether good or bad, most drives. It's not going to happen. We're going to see a lot of six-minute drives plus from this Alabama team this year. Um, And I'm not sure Texas is ready for what we're going to see. Milrow is not just any athlete. That, (laughs) That guy can fly. Um, you know, he's going to be a guy who, you know, I think when he fought, when all things can he are bleed? Good, sure. <laughs> I, look, look, I'm not, I'm not going on a limb to say that this kid is Lamar Jackson at all, but I think genuinely how they'll play him is going to be very similar as he gets better and better at Bama. Uh, it's going to be a kid who they're going to be like, look, your greatest strength is the fact that you can outrun everybody on this field. They all know it. So we're just going to make sure that you throw, you know, winnable passes. And when it's time to set, when it's time to, for you to keep it on a read, take it sixty, please and thank you. Um, from a from a Texas perspective, it's a, it all comes down to Quinn Ewers, man. I, it's really simple. It's not going to be the defense. It's not going to be the O line. It's not going to be any of that. It's going to be whether or not Quinn Ewers can be the quarterback we all thought he was coming out of high school. That's it. Like I don't mean to overly simplify it, but if he plays like the five star QB who won the Elite Eleven in a landslide. And I mean a landslide, he will be, you know, you, you guys are going to win this ball game. But if he comes out and it's a little bit shaky, first couple of passes, a little bit wayward, maybe he has a tipped pass and on his third or fourth drive, it turns into a pick and he starts playing timid, this game's over. Like, you don't have the Texas crowd this year to back you. And I understand he was hurt last year, but you don't have the Texas crowd to play, to be there and be on your side the whole game. I don't know if any of you guys have been to Tuscaloosa for a game. Oh my God, it's, it's the worst. If you're, yeah, it's, it's the worst. It's the absolute worst if you're an opposing fan um, and if you're an opposing team because they are just on you all night long. You have to hear, hear that stupid million-dollar ban all <laughs> night long. 
and I, I'm telling you, it, it's it's one of those situations where I'm I'm more concerned about yours than I am the rest of the Texas team. Okay, just, just gonna be honest. But I mean, look, that's fair. Yeah, you know. uh, it, it's gonna be it's gonna be a great game. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I genuinely hope so. I I, I think. It just, it, like I said, it just makes me feel a little bit concerned with how many people and how many, not just, you know, guys like us, right, who have a podcast, but even the bigger entities that are like, yeah, maybe, maybe Saban's lost his touch. And I'm just like, do you, are you forgetting who this guy is? Like, he, this guy is, he could easily go 11 and 1 like this year with a, a first year quarterback and be like in the playoff and win a championship. And I don't think anybody will bat an eye. But we're sitting here talking about him possibly losing his touch a little bit. Like, let's calm down. Let's He's calm still down. recruiting some of the best players. Right. Like, so, like, you know, the talent is on the field still, yeah. and he recruits it. So He uh, called Caleb Downs the next Mika Fitzpatrick from, like, day one of practice. And I was just like, after watching him in high school, I'm like, yeah, probably. Like, yeah. that's the kind of talent he's still bringing in. It's, uh, it's going to be a fun game for sure here. As we're wrapping up, Nick, do you have any games, you know, you and I both hemming and hawing this week? Is there a game that you really like, a side that you like, a total, anything like that? So last week I mentioned Stanford and Hawaii. I felt like I had a, a little bit of a decent read on on that one and, and was fortunate and ended up working out. Uh, this week there's one I think that, that lines up similarly. Um I was a little surprised when looking at the consensus line and, and uh, Houston at Rice. Houston was was a single-digit favorite, uh, nine and a half, I think. Um, that we talked last week about, you know, should Georgia Tech get any home field advantage? Probably made the wrong decision by saying no, um, the way that one started at least. But uh, this week, it's kind of a, a similar situation, even though that this game is in Rice Stadium. Um, it's a crosstown game. Houston's going to be able to do just about their entire pregame home game routine uh, and then just bus over to, to Rice. Um, so the you know that's a, a much bigger stadium than rice needs uh it's probably gonna <laughs> have twice the houston fans in it as it does rice fans so i actually i gave rice one point for home field advantage i didn't just completely negate it but um even then that cut our projection to to 14.6 so we are uh we we see some uh, some daylight between our team strength projection and the uh, odds makers. Um, the prism model, the stats only model has roughly the same projection. It's a little closer to 15. Uh, the talent edge uh, isn't quite as big as I expected actually. And, and perhaps that has a little to do with uh, JT Daniels and, and he's pretty highly rated uh, as a quarterback um, just, you know, based on, uh, his, his talent rating coming out of high school is, is a big part of it. Um, but so that was maybe a little closer and, and that one actually has rice to, to cover slightly, but, um, but me personally, I, I think that this is a game that Houston, uh, should win by double digits and, uh, probably, you know, two touchdowns. So, um, that one, that one's the one that, that stuck out to me this week. Uh, Xavier, you have a, a game that you like this week at all? Um, yeah, I did. Uh, one, I think Georgia State, Connecticut, 
I think Georgia State covered bet the over there on theirs. Uh, Georgia State being only two and a half point favorite, I think is a little slight. I understand Connecticut was pretty good defensively last week, but I think Georgia State really looked a lot better in the passing game than I previously expected uh, coming into this year. Uh, so uh, that's a horrible shirt. Um, <laughs> horrible shirt. Uh, Nick is wearing a Georgia Southern, Southern shirt right shirt. now. So. Blasphemy on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> You know, just just for that, give me UAB to cover <laughs> Georgia Southern. This week. Um, <laughs> you know, they're only a six and a half point. Don't, don't make these projections with your heart, Xavier. Oh, I'm not <laughs> making that one. Uh, UAB to cover six and a half point underdog there. Um, I actually, you know, and I've said this before. I, said this actually, agrees, though. I, I like App State to cover that 18 and a half against North Carolina. Um, I think App State found its footing somewhat last week in the second half, um, and I think they looked a lot better. I think North Carolina, where they looked good, Drake May wasn't as elite as what I think a lot of people were looking forward to last week. Um, Through a couple of wayward interceptions late in that game that kind of kept South Carolina in and around it, even though that defense looked much improved from last week or from last year, excuse me. And then lastly, um, and this is just for fun. Can Iowa State covered at three and a half against Iowa? Can we get a one point game? Just bet the under. Can we can we get a ten nine performance um, in that ball game in particular? Um, I just would, I just think it would be hilarious if if that game was you know determined by like a safety in the second quarter. Uh, so yeah, give me give me uh, obviously yes to, to to Scott's point, bet the under. Uh, but can Iowa State cover at three and a half? It's going to be interesting for me. All right, that will wrap it up for us this week. Remember, you can follow us all on Twitter at Bogman Sports for myself, at CFP Winning Edge for Nick, at Xavier underscore Trish, T R I C H E for Xavier, at Campus 2 Canton for the network that is hosting this show. We thank you all, and we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. <laughs>